This is the Family Friendly Workplace Podcast, produced by Women's Agenda. Alison Hernandez has been living, working and managing remotely for more than five years, well before the COVID-19 pandemic and well before the massive shifts that we've seen in how we live and work over the past 18 months. And in that time, she's seen her business grow, her business acquired, and she's become the Managing Director of Randstart Rise Smart Asia Pacific. So Alison is an expert on career mobility and transition, as well as being an aging workforce specialist and a family-friendly workplaces ambassador. In this discussion, she'll share more on what their business has been doing around flexible work, paid parental leave and other family-friendly workplace policy initiatives. And she also shares some of her concerns and her ideas on where employers can go next to truly ensure they get the best talent possible and that they do everything possible to retain that talent. Hello, my name is Angela Priestley, and this is the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, a podcast and initiative between Parents at Work and UNICEF Australia, where we speak to different leaders on how they make their own leadership and roles family friendly, as well as what they are doing internally for their own staff. We also discuss what's next for the family friendly workplace. Where do we go from here? And Alison is the perfect person to ask those questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining me, Alison. Perhaps you could start by letting me know where whereabouts are you? Well, I am working at home in Lennox Head, Angela, um, which is in the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales and land of the Bundjalung people for over 22,000 years. I moved here about five years ago after 17 years living and working in Sydney, partly for family reasons, partly well-being. I just needed to get out of the mad pace of city life after a bit of a bout of glandular fever at the time. So it was all about getting a bit of better balance. So I'm at home today with my dog Taco, my cat Jam, who may well have a stoush in the middle of this recording. Um, (laughs) And my husband and uh, my 18-year-old daughter are still fortunate to be in their jobs and at their respective workplaces today. Great. Okay. Because we are recording this while much of the country is in lockdown. I think more than half of Australians right now are in lockdown, um, particularly in the cities. So um, South Australia, Melbourne and Sydney. And so, Alison, I do find it fascinating and I'm sure we'll get to this, but I love that you moved there five years ago because I know it has become very popular to move to that area, particularly since the beginning of the pandemic. But um It would be interesting to hear how you work day to day, particularly, you know, five years ago, how have you been making this big corporate career uh, work living regionally where you are? Yeah, look, um, I I guess I was a bit ahead of the curve at the time, but uh, being a family friendly and, and hybrid sort of workplace actually comes as second nature, to be honest, back in 2004 when Katrina Byrne and I co-founded uh, the business at the time was called Sageco. Um, I remember sitting on the end of a hospital bed signing business registration papers the day after her first baby Archie was born. <laughs> I'm not sure how wise that was at the time. We still laugh about it but um, my daughter was two years old um, at that time in 2004 and so we had no other choice but to create 
a family friendly and flexible environment and and work from home, work part time, um, hybrid, wherever we needed to be at any given time. So we just changed it up um, along the way and in line with what we needed and importantly, what the business needed as well. And I was fortunate to be on a career break myself um, when I actually had my daughter uh, 18 years ago. We were living in Spain at the time. And that period actually of, of that career break, that detachment from the workforce actually really shaped a lot of my thinking around supporting women and their careers or more broadly parents and their careers. Um, I've been working incredibly intensively for a few years as the career transition director for SOCOG, the Sydney Olympic Committee for the Olympic Games at the time. And suddenly here I was in a new country as a new parent, detached from the workforce. So a few things bubbled up for me in that period and eventually sort of culminated in a product that we now have delivered over the last 15 years and to over 70,000 people, which is a whole of life work planning uh, program Envisage and um, covers off, you know, a really holistic look at how people can better shape and create their future. And really visionary employers that want to create an inclusive and supportive workplace will run that to help people make those informed decisions. So I guess I've been a single working parent since my daughter was four running a business initially and then moving into uh, a regional leadership role when Sageco became Rice Smart, when Randstad acquired our business. And I've turned up late on more than one occasion to collect my daughter from school or from after school care and cop the fine and had to beg forgiveness from the centre manager, you know, so I'm not going to lie, you know, I've made mistakes and made a few poor judgment calls along the way, Angela, as I think we all have to admit. Um, but overall, I would say you have to give yourself permission first, fit your own oxygen mask first before helping others, rewire the way you think and the way you act when it comes to working. And I think if as leaders, if we can role model that, then that leadership shadow casts a long way and your team will feel empowered to then make their own decisions about the best way to work. Mm, yeah. So we first met at the Women's Agenda Leadership Awards in 2014 when you received one of those awards. So Congratulations once again. I know that it's been a long time since then, but um, that award was really around your work with Sage Co and that business that you co-founded. And I love hearing the story about signing the papers on the bedside of your co-founder's hospital room after she's just given birth to a child because it speaks to everything that is to come in terms of building something family friendly. But um, so Sageco, as I understand, was later acquired by Randstad and you're now leading Randstad Rice Smart in Australia, which is a huge global business. I heard you speak on a different podcast talking about this mission to touch the lives of 500 million people by 2030 and you, the business helped 2 million people find jobs in 2020 during the pandemic year. So I guess you're still able to make this remote work work, even now in a very corporate, big leadership environment. What are your tips to doing it? So you're the really the expert at remote work and leading remote and leading teams remotely, given you've been doing it so successfully for so long. It really is second nature. And I think, Angela, the first thing is to make sure that you're working with an employer and with a leader that actually has values alignment and that is future thinking and progressive and inclusive. Um, and yes, of course, 
we can nurture that in people and we can change and shift mindsets. And I think, you know, the pandemic has been the greatest shifter of all time of mindsets. However, somewhat alarming, Angela, um, as I know you'll agree, to see, you know, some of the behaviours that uh, leaders are reverting to. So, you know, and, and it isn't just me, you know, I'll point out, we have an all-female leadership team at Rise Smart. We're scattered far and wide. Stacey, my sales director, is in Brisbane. Sharon, my delivery director, is in Melbourne. And Katrina, my former co-founder, in Adelaide. So hybrid and remote work has always been the norm for us. And I think, you know, that communication and connectivity and conversations are absolutely an art that you need to practice and you need to gain prowess in that. And I think if organisations can maintain what they've learnt out of the pandemic and, and keep evolving and keep improving and keep checking in with people on what works and what could work better, there's no doubt that the return on investment is there. We have an incredible team of, of high-performing, highly productive, highly engaged employees all across the region actually so I have employees spanning seven countries now it's been quite a growth plan since Randstad acquired us to become Rice Smart we've launched in China Hong Kong Singapore Malaysia and Japan since the start of the pandemic so it's been quite um, a journey and you really have to be intentional as I said about that connectivity and work even harder as a leader to be visible and to be role modeling the values and the behaviors that you're looking for in others. Mm. Can I get into a few specifics there um, just regarding how you maintain this contact? I mean, do you have, say, regular daily meetings? Do you have weekly meetings? Do you have a quarterly in-person catch-up? Or What are the specifics around um, how you bring that team together in a, in a physical way? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And we have formal and informal ways of doing that. Um, I don't think you can overstructure communication because it should be a bit organic as well. Um, so there are some sort of formalized uh, things like the leadership team will have a, a connect once a week on whatever day makes sense, because it may not be a Monday because some of the members of the leadership team might have an RDO or it might be their part-time day off. So we do stagger and flex the day of the LT Connect. Um, we also have a bi-monthly day where all of the regional leadership team come together um, for a knowledge share, um, to be curious, to question and to innovate. Um, so we do that. And then in turn, we also cascade those meetings down through their functional teams. So the sales team have weekly check-ins, the delivery and practice team have weekly check-ins. Some are more formal structured for learning and upskilling and reskilling, and some are more informal, you know, a quiz, you know, a cocktail hour, <laughs> whatever it might be, a bit of Zoom trivia. Um, we even did a TikTok dance together last year for a global competition. Sad to say we didn't win. Hardly a surprise having seen the rerun. So I guess, you know, uh, the other thing we do is we have what we call a live connect, which is kind of like a CEO vlog. So every six weeks, we invite all of our employees and our contractors um, across the region to join us for about 45 minutes where we share some updates. We get them to ask questions. We give them progress reports on our growth plan. And then we put everybody into Zoom rooms so they can have a bit of a speed date, meet people from different cultures seek advice on things that it may well be tips to how to balance working from home with uh, homeschooling. So um, all of those conversations are important. And that more informal peer community, I think, is really important in these times. So there's lots of different ways that we do it. And you have to be really intentional about it. Are any of your staff in offices? 
so at the moment, as you mentioned, uh, Sydney, Adelaide, uh, Melbourne in lockdown. So no, we have had employees in and out of the Brisbane office, obviously, and also Hobart um, back on now, but has been, you know, uh, out of office and across Asia Pacific. Gosh, it's been waxing and waning on a weekly basis. Uh, I was on the call with Japan uh, last week and, and they were in the office together, uh, but two weeks before they were all at home. So it's um, changing on almost a, a weekly, if not a daily basis at the moment. But, you know, for me, I'm completely borderless and reason neutral. They can work from home, even if they can be in the office and they can be in the office if they wish to be, you know, it's, it has no impact on, on output and productivity. So really don't mind where they're working from as long as they're giving us their life's best work. <laughs> Okay, so I want to talk about being a family-friendly workplace. I mean, obviously, flexibility is a huge part of of, of that, and it sounds like you've got that piece well and truly uh, down pat, and you have for a number of years. I guess, and we might talk about this question uh, in two different scenarios because it's quite different in a lockdown scenario, which um, even you know a couple of months back we, we may not have even mentioned anymore because it felt like we were really getting through these lockdowns and we're sort of seeing a way out of this pandemic period. But we now know that's certainly not the case. And um, we know that uh, if for however long the lockdown goes in Sydney at the moment, we can probably expect there to be some sort of rolling lockdowns for, for some time to come. So let's look at the question, first of all, out of a lockdown scenario. So what are some of those key uh, tenants that make a family-friendly workplace? Yeah, so look, I would say that this is something we have done informally and organically for many years. But when uh, Parents at Work and UNICEF came together with the Family Friendly Workplaces certification, it really gave us that um, robust framework uh, to, to create structure around our initiatives and to guide where we were on track um, and give us, I guess, validation that we were doing a lot of great stuff. But also importantly, where there were gaps, where there were blind spots and where we needed to dial it up. So um, we did. um, It was a very easy decision for us to sign up as a founding partner uh, of the Family Friendly Workplaces. Um, I also put my hat in the ring as an ambassador and we were one of the first 20 employers to be certified. So um, we are doing a lot right, but we're absolutely focused on what we're not doing right and what we need to do um, better. So if I think about that framework that I mentioned, um, flexible work. Uh, parental leave, well-being and and family care. So around flexibility, look, I was absolutely thrilled that we got 100% on our um, certification score um, for flexibility. We've been long-term advocates, as I said, uh, been role modelling it for many years. 100% of our employees across the region are empowered to work flexibly, informal or informal, flexible work arrangements. Every job we advertise is advertised as flexible and borderless. I find the best talent with the best skill and will and the best passion and the best values alignment. And then we see, well, what's going to work for you? So we construct the role um, you know, to the most part around around the person and the skills and what they bring. Um, there's many different iterations of flexible work available, split shifts, staggered start and finish, borderless, as I've mentioned, and then topping up leave. If people need extra leave, you know, there's the birthday day off, there's uh, loyalty leave for anyone that's been with us for two years, up to five years, you can have two to five uh, days extra leave um, as, a, as a symbol. So that's coming really handy at the moment. Secondly, around um, parental leave, 
obviously paid parental leave. Now, at the moment, Randstad uh, does pay 12 weeks, which is an industry best practice, actually, within recruitment. Um, And at the moment, there is a week for the secondary carer. But two things on that. That will be extended shortly. The plan is in motion to extend that. And ultimately, the goal is to remove primary and secondary carer labels, of course, carers are carers, regardless of of gender. All of the policies uh, are very inclusive as well of different types of parenting. So adoption, um, same-sex parents, surrogacy. Um, There's a bit more to do that we flagged around foster care and Also, for me, one of my bugbears has always been superannuation discontinuity through parental leave. I'm a gender pay equity ambassador as well for the WGEA, and it's something I feel quite passionately about. So that is on our list. Obviously, we need to run the numbers. We need to look at how scalable that is. We need to make sure um, that we can really demonstrate the return on investment. Um, But absolutely, that's on the roadmap. Then there's also a fantastic parents and carers uh, at Randstad community so that uh, people can join that for peer advice, support, resources, um, buddying system, etc. And we've got lots of people from Rise Smart from our team uh, who have accessed that and found that really valuable. Like Christina, our customer success manager, she's been with Rise Smart since 2013. Uh, She's now got two children under five years of age. Um, And whilst pregnant with her second uh, child, Emmanuel, uh, we promoted her to an APAC customer success role while working part time and whilst about to go on to parental leave. So it's about the best person for the for the job, really. Under well-being, uh, the third pillar, we've got a trained first responder network for domestic violence and also extra paid domestic violence leave, 10 days. a lot of internal people leader conversations to raise awareness and guide response and to help flag people that are vulnerable and need support. Um, We have a great wellbeing program, Be Kind to Your Mind, with regular um, nutrition and yoga and exercise and and positive psychology sessions running that people can dip in and out of. Um, And I'm proud as well that we're a mental health first aid, uh, gold-skilled workplace, which has really helped because not only is that triage for our participants, Angela, that are coming through a transition program having been made redundant, but actually we find a lot of our mental health first aiders supporting their peers and colleagues within our team and no no greater time of need than now. And then lastly, I would say in the family care aspect we've got a lot more to do here I think around family care it needs to be very practical very tangible you know people need we need as a nation a flock of masked up Mary Poppins to come in to homes all around the country (laughs) yeah I know doesn't feel too COVID safe but I'm sure that we can um find a way maybe through tech AI who knows um so in terms of a lockdown situation, so obviously a lot of that applies to to everyone in lockdown, particularly that those first responders that you mentioned would be so important at this at this point, and and I think also important in terms of understanding the needs of, of your clients. I think that's great to be able to see what's happening internally, so that you can be more effective externally as well. Are there any specific initiatives that um, you'd say are working for the business uh, in lockdown and also anything else that you may have seen from from other organisations as well that um, people might want to learn from or or consider taking on within their own businesses? 
Yeah, so we work with with hundreds of different organisations um, across the region from all different industries. Um, and I have been really heartened by some very progressive and well thought out um, strategies. I mean, I read this morning, Angela and Women's Agenda about Organon, uh, the women's health company who are giving staff three hours a day paid to support their children with remote learning. Um, That is really progressive and I think best in class. Um, Parents at Work have offered a fantastic initiative in collaboration with Kids Co that I saw come out last week supporting people in the home and supporting their children age 5 to 12 um, with organised activities and and support with homeschooling. Um, I've seen a lot of employers offering a dial-up in Flex, which is great, but I've also seen a lot of really strong executive leadership from CEOs. And um, if I had to think of an example, Stephen Worrell really impressed me, the MD of Microsoft ANZ. You know, he really walks the talk. He's very visible um, in his narrative around supporting employee well-being and flexibility. And, you know, the reason I call out Stephen is because my own brother works at Microsoft and my brother Phil actually lives three doors down from me in Lennox Head, having also moved up here three years ago. He has two young boys under six. And the ability to focus on his career and his family simultaneously has been life-changing for him as a Microsoft employee. So, you know, we know that it's authentic and that's what's important. And that's what struck me when I heard Stephen speak at the the launch of Family Friendly. Um, Within our own organisation, you know, we've definitely dialed up that parents and carers network, given that a lot more focus, a lot more tips and resources, um, a lot more practical support. Um, Another initiative is distributing Uber Eats vouchers um, to our employees in lockdown. I mean, what's not to love about not having to do the dishes and cook a meal? Um, So... Even if it's those little things that can make a little bit of difference and bring a little bit of joy to someone's day, knowing they can order out, um, you know, it's those things that you need to think about. Um, Accessing loyalty leave to release the pressure and and a range of things like that. But at, at the end of the day, my philosophy is if you're not providing a family friendly and inclusive workplace, then your competitor might be. So I think it would be fair to say that leaders need to make a lot smarter decisions in an era of uh, increasing talent scarcity. Otherwise, they will find themselves with very empty buildings, even when we return to the so-called workplace. I loved Anne Sherry's comments at the Parents at Work Family Friendly Workplaces Initiative launch when she talked about the fact that, you know, employees are really going to have to sort of earn the right to have employees coming back because we've seen a different way of working now. So if you do want those employees in the office, you'd want to be ready and able and willing to give them everything that they they need and to open plenty of opportunities around flexibility and understand that it's it's not an all-in situation when it comes to returning to work, that it is going to be different, that we have seen the value of technology and the value of flexibility, and we've been just as productive regardless. So I guess I'd, I'd love to ask your thoughts on what happens next from here. Now, one concern I do have is this idea of the hybrid workplace. And I heard a great um, description of this from Faye Calderoni, a partner at Hall & Wilcox, who talked about the potential for proximity bias. So that idea that the person who can be in the office and who may typically be the uh, stereotypical leader that we've been seeing for decades who has all the support that they need at home and is typically male, that what happens if 
they're the people who choose to be in the office and it's you know women because of whatever needs they have at home then then you know choose to be at home do we risk broadening some gaps even further i mean are you going to get promoted if you're working from home and not in the office are you going to get the pay rise are you going to get the best quality work if you can't do that that networking and socializing that so organically and naturally occurs I mean, I look at you and I say, yes, you will, because <laughs> you've been doing this for many years. But but what do you think? Are there concerns there? Look, there's no doubt, Angela, that there is some concerning data bubbling up about uh, inequality when it comes to visibility and internal promotion based on presenteeism, as you say, proximity bias. Um, that does concern me. I think we need to keep a really close eye on that. And I think we need to intentionally, going forward, intentionally put in place measurements and metrics that will ensure inclusion and equality when it comes to things like professional development, promotions, access to opportunities, um, so that we can ensure it's a level playing field um, and no one is disadvantaged uh, in the selection process. The other thing, and it would be remiss of me leading a, a career management company, not to put my career coaching hat on for a second and say this, the ideal future state is that we can democratise career coaching so that it is something that is given to employees, not when they leave an organisation as a gift of their future, but when they join an organisation as a gift of their future. Now, imagine, you know, given that we're in the transition business and 4.2% of women's employment around the world was lost last year versus 3% of men's, I have some real concerns about the people left behind. Now, if organisations were to bring that investment upstream and invest in women, parents, carers, and their careers, and even if they are working 100% remotely, if they have a coach in their corner who is guiding them and acting as a sounding board on how to be visible, even if you are not physically there, how to network and build your internal brand and your profile and how to remain productive and positive and focused on achievements and outcomes, then I think it's about the organisation tracking and measuring and monitoring and ensuring that it's inclusive and it's about them supporting their employees to also drive their own destiny as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so much responsibility there that has to be taken to to make this work and to ensure that people can be successful through this transition and these changes around around work. And that's really in the in the best interest of all employers, really, that if they they want to be competitive, if they they want to get ahead of uh, every other employer and all the other opportunities that other businesses are offering, then they you, you need to be at the top of your game here and you, you need to be able to leverage your best talent as well. Absolutely. And technology is our friend as well. I mean, we have come on in leaps and bounds in the last decade in terms of technology. So as an organisation, we should have visibility of our talent, regardless of where they are, whether they are in the building or working in another state or even another country. If we are applying the right technology, then we should have a map of our talent marketplace and we should have skills ontology and we should be matching people to jobs smartly, not based on a set of unconscious biases and assumptions that are being made about the fact that someone sitting in a chair in the office is more productive and, you know, powerful and, uh, and engaging in their organisation than someone who is not. Um, we know that that's not true. 
Do you think we're on our way to, uh, I'll say this in a very optimistic way, but being a better, smarter, more productive country in the fact that, um, and I still go back to you being there on Lennox Head, beautiful Lennox Head. I love that spot, um, beautiful part of the world up on the um, north coast of New South Wales, kind of a few hours from the Queensland border. Um, so I just think of all the talent and all the people living in regional, remote, rural areas, um, particularly a lot of women who may have uh, trailed a partner or they may uh, be living on farms or working in agriculture, whatever it is. And I just think now we have the opportunity to truly open up to be giving them so many more opportunities than they may have had previously back in, in 2019. Do you think that And you'd be able to say this from a recruitment perspective. Is that actually happening? Is it now that it doesn't really matter where you are if you are able to, if you do work in knowledge work, if you are able to work remotely? Are people even necessarily listing the location of their offices anymore? I think we're seeing a shift, absolutely. Is everyone there yet? Absolutely not. Um, And we've got two scenarios playing out. We've got employees working with an organisation, you know, proving their mettle, accomplishing and achieving and and doing very well. And if they choose to then relocate, well, it's a non-issue. You then have a scenario where people are applying for jobs from regional areas or from overseas locations. That at the moment is a little bit more of a stretch for employers, it seems, um, to get their heads around. But I go back to this, global talent shortage, scarcity of skills, particularly in digitech and healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And your next employee could be the invisible hidden employee that's living in a regional area um, and does not want to live or work in the city. So um, if we are not uncovering the hidden and visible talent, then we're actually going to have um, a very short queue at the door looking to apply for roles going forward. Mm, Yes, absolutely. So Alison, what's next on the agenda for you, for you personally, for your career, but also for the business? Well, um, I'm quite uh, open to sharing that I recently in June moved to a nine-day fortnight um, wow. That was okay. set for me mm. and my overall work-life balance and, and well-being. Um, and in part, not in total, but in part that was due to my own caregiving responsibilities, not uh, as a parent, but as a daughter. Uh, I have, you know, elderly parents living in the UK. Um, they, they'll be cross at me for calling them elderly at 76 and 82. But uh, look, some health issues that we're helping to navigate at the moment. And obviously that's quite challenging from afar. Um, And I found that actually I just needed to release the pressure valve a little bit more to give me some time and some space um, that wasn't on the weekend, uh, you know, just to be able to do what I need to do and and support uh, my family. So that was in part due to that. So that was the move to the nine day fortnight, which I thought might be temporary, but actually, no, it's uh, fitting quite well. So I think we'll see that continuing and who knows next year, a four day week. Um, absolutely possible for the leader of the business if you've got great people working around you, if you've got amazing talent, and they too can be working flexibly as well. So um, absolutely love where I live. Um, I have the opportunity to connect and collaborate globally with the Rise Smart team around the world. And again, borderless. (laughs) The US have always uh, worked borderlessly and remotely and uh, virtually since Rise Smart was actually founded in Silicon Valley in 2007. So they've never delivered a program face-to-face to to any participant in the US. And they have probably over 100,000 people supported through career transition, all virtually since the very beginning. So I think it helps that we were built on a culture of you know, innovation. Mm. Um, 
However, you know, I feel that I don't physically need to move from Lennox Head, Angela, to have the career opportunities that I want. Mm. I have to say, Lennox Head is looking very, very appealing right now. So <laughs> don't tell everyone. We quite well, I like think everybody happy. already knows. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and sharing more on that. It's um, And I love that you ha- you're doing the nine-day fortnight. I think that's great to see a leader demonstrating how that's possible. We've written a lot about the four-day week. Um, in recent years so it's um it's 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 great to see real live examples of that happening in Australia so thank you so much for your time thank you so much thanks Angela have a good day The Family Friendly Workplaces podcast is an initiative supporting the new National Work and Family Standards for Workplaces, which informs employers of the minimum and best practice policies they can invest in to create a great family-friendly workplace culture. You can learn more at familyfriendlyworkplaces.com.